Thank you, and uh, congratulations on another year of uh, serving God's kids. You know, that, that's what we do in here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I'd like to thank you guys for uh, coming together and, and throwing this thing on as, uh, for, for the new people that are here walking in the door. And, um, boy, I'll tell you what. It's, and you got them here. You got them here. There was a five-year crew here. And the people that stood up for five years, it reminded me of the time I had five years. You know, and there was this old timer. We got a lot of old timers in Cleveland, and and um, I walked into our local one of our local uh, eateries after the meeting. We all went up there after the meeting and mobbed the place. Everybody just ordered a cup of coffee, you know. And we're so we're sitting up there, and there, there's Al or Al B. And so I, I go up there, and there's Al. He had about 45 years at the time, highly respected, helped a bunch of people, and I said, Al, I got five years tonight, and I was expecting. Way to go, kid. Keep up the good work, all this stuff. He said, no. He said, no, you got five years. Now it's your responsibility to be a good example, he said. And I said, wow, you know. And I, So I stepped back a little bit, but, but I thought about that, and I, I carried it with me. You know, and the new people that are here, you know, geez, there's a bunch of those, too. It never ends. It never ends. I walked into another meeting on, on the west side, and there was this guy there. With, this was four years ago. He had 52 years at that time. You know, and he, he, he pulls, I walked in, I said, hey, Pat, how's it going? He said, he pulled out his coin out of his pocket, and he showed me the 52-year coin. I said, man, you must have to special order these things or something like that, especially minted or something. So, you know, if he can show off, I, had, I just had my 17-year coin, and I pulled out my 17 I said, what do you think about this, Pat? And I showed it to him. He looked at it, turned around, and says, Hey, kid, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. If, don't take anything seriously in Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Paul G. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my home group's a Newberg group, Sunday nights, 8, uh, 7.30 now. Um, and it's been my home group pretty much uh, from when I started coming to Alcoholics Anonymous 21 years ago. And I have never seen a Super Bowl in 21 years. And it's, that's not complaining and it's not bragging either. It's just the way it's supposed to be. You know, I was told uh, uh, we uh, get a home group and we suit up, we show up, and uh, we're accountable. We do what we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do it. You know, and, and really on Super Bowl, you know, it, we're well attended on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, everybody that's supposed to be there is there. You know, and I'm glad I'm there. You know, and, and really it's... Um, it's been such a such a um, pivotal part of my sobriety. Uh, uh, so I've been hammering that lately in my own head. The uh, past couple of years, you know, home group and the spirit of identification in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, when I was new, I came in. I didn't know if I fit in. I didn't know uh, what I wanted out of this thing. I didn't know if I wanted anything. I just wanted to keep the cops off my back. You know, and it's uh, pretty much. And so I, I showed up and. Um, you know, but early on, I, I kind of recognized that there was something here that was worthy um, or that, that interested me. And I, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know exactly what it was. But um, uh, one of the first few meetings I went to, there was some little black lady stood up behind a podium, and she started telling her story. And she started talking about back in the 40s, she used to come home 3 o'clock in the morning from the speakeasy and uh, sit in front of her Victrola and uh, put on those Billy Holiday records. She said, and those tears would come streaming down her face. And she went like this, and those tears would come streaming down her face. I remember it. And, you know, the way she described it, I could almost see the purple Victrola in the parlor and, and the strains of Billie Holiday. 
very descriptive. But two weeks later, I'm sitting in a meeting, and there's a guy there, and he says, you know, back, uh, back in the 50s, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I used to come home, they just developed hi-fi stereo. And I used to put those stereo speakers together on my living room carpet, sit between them, and put on those Frank Sinatra records. And those tears would come streaming down my face, he said. I said, oh, my God, there it is again. And so I'm starting to think now, and I can remember in the 60s coming home, 3 o'clock in the morning, putting on those big clunky cost headphones, turn on Jimi Hendrix to 10, and those tears would come streaming down my face. So I tell that because if you're new here and you got a little iPod with the, with the earbuds and, and it's Lady Gaga or, or Adele or something, you just might belong here. You know, you just, you know, and we, we come in different sizes, shapes, flavors, and colors. And the technology may change, but what's going on beneath the surface is pretty much the same. Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place where total strangers can reminisce. You know, like you've known each other all your lives. You know, how many times have I sat down, I go to the airport, I see somebody sitting there, I recognize them from a meeting. Ten, ten minutes later, we're telling each other things we wouldn't tell our priest. You know, it's... Uh, only here can we do that. Only here. And a new guy came up to me uh, uh, some weeks back at a meeting. He said, dude, I do the same thing with Pearl Jam. Intense. Intense. You know. So. But, uh, yeah, total strangers reminiscing. You know, so that, that's what we do. And we, uh, we uh, get together at these meetings and these celebrations. It's another celebration of sobriety. You know, because what's driving that underneath may be a little gratitude. Um, Maybe a little gratitude, hopefully. You know, I, I know I'm grateful for every opportunity I get in life. And I can really, looking back and I trace everything good in my life, I trace back to my walking through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous some 21 years ago. And, and uh, I hope never to forget that and never to walk away from that responsibility. You know, because uh, those people at my first meeting did their job. They made me feel welcome. You know, but drinking, geez, you know, I was... Uh, 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 I was, uh, I remember my first drunk vividly, you know, a couple, a bottle of Corby's, nasty stuff, bottom shelf liquor, we, we stole it off somebody's, uh, stole it somewhere, and went out, we were camping out in the woods, you know, a couple of kids, 13 years old, and um, if there's one thing I remember is I got more than my share that night, you know, while, while the other kids were over there, um, uh, I would sneak over to the bottle and take a, uh, get more than my share. You know, and if, if we'd pa be passing around a bottle, I'd take a bigger uh, swig than they would. You know, and if they didn't look the other way, I'd say, look. And when they look, I'd take an extra hit off of that bottle. Excuse me. I, I paid the consequences for it, of course. And that I was lying in a puddle of puke in the weeds while they were snugging their sleeping bags, you know, in the tents. And, and that is a um, concept that was to work through my entire life is paying consequences for trying to get more than my share out of life in one kind of way or another, you know, and, uh, playing some kind of angle or, or trying to steal something or uh, do something sneaky or just take an extra hit out of that bottle, you know, and, and it was my nature to try to get one up on the other person. You know, I found that, uh, and looking back on it, boy, did that cause problems for me. You know, I, and of course, we don't find this stuff out until we come here, but um, my parent, you know, and I got, I, I stayed in the weeds that night. The next morning I'm walking home and it's in the summer and it's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's 90 degrees already and my tongue is thick and my head is pounding and I'm caked with the dew from the, and the junk from the night before. And, and man, I couldn't wait to do it again. 
You know, I was feeling terrible, but I couldn't wait to do it again. You know, I had plans for the corner of that bottle that was still left. But I walked home to my uh, parents' house, and which was a, um, my parents were good people. You know, my dad, my dad was Elliot Ness's bodyguard. Uh, back in the uh, uh, 30s, Elliot Ness was, uh, some of the people might remember him here, he was the Untouchables, you know, the TV show. And uh, uh, Elliot Ness was the law director in Cleveland for a period of time, and uh, my dad was a, a Cleveland cop and was a, uh, his driver slash bodyguard. My dad was a trained interrogator, real law and order guy. I was a liar. <laughs> that, uh, it was a perfect fit. You know, he told me once he never asked me a question he didn't already know the answer to. And I thought, it's not playing right. I thought that was very unfair. <laughs> but uh, they tried hard nonetheless. Uh, Mom uh, pretty much prayed me into this program, I believe, Altar and Rosary Society every Thursday and uh, uh, church lady and that. And, um, and I was wild. I was big. I was wild and uncontrollable. At the age of 14, I lost my driver's license. That's a, that's a story unto itself. And, uh, and, uh, but at the age of, you know, my parents, they were trying, they were, they were trying to, uh, they were pulling out all the stops to do it. My brother was 10 years older than me. They just wanted to set me on the right path. He was a good kid. You know, my brother was the good kid. You know, he went through to uh, finish the, he graduated from the same high school that he started at, you know, and... And he, and he went through college. And so my par- at, in 1967, my parents sent me away to visit my brother in college, trying to instill an appreciation for higher education into me. Well, college was Berkeley. And if, if you remember Berkeley in 67, that was a game changer. You know, it's, uh, it backfired on my parents, actually. It's, so I was, he was on campus over there and at the... Uh, radiation laboratory or whatever he was doing, and I was over there in Haight-Ashbury and, um, uh, and Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley and, and just learning all the wrong things. And, and these are the things I brought back with me. Well, uh, to, to enter into high school, and so I lasted about a year and a half. Uh, it's the most I could make until I packed my guitar, <laughs> packed one suitcase, and bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco for 60 bucks. You know, and I just, I was a 14, I was, a, I was 16 at the time. I just walked up to the counter. It was a different world then. Just walked up to the ta- counter, put down my 60 bucks, hopped on the plane, and uh, fully intended on spending the rest of my life out there. You know, so, and I, and I got off the, uh, the plane, and I, I'm thinking, uh, palm, you know, it's California, right? Palm trees and hula skirts, and I'm going to live on the beach and eat coconuts or whatever. I went straight to the beach to live. I'm going to live on, well, the northern California coastline is not quite like that. You know, it's not very conducive to living on the beach. You know, the waves are crashing and the fog was coming in off the ocean and the ocean liners are blowing, the sea lions are barking on the rocks. I'm living in those woods above Cliff House over there on the coastal highway, trying to sleep and, and I'm uh, damp. It's miserable. I'm just totally miserable. You know, this is not the California I had in my mind. I ended up um, moving in. I wanted to get as far away from that water, you know, after a few nights of that, as far away from that water I, as I could. So I ended up down the Embarcadero on the other end of the city, which is the, um, that's the, uh, Calif- the uh, San Francisco waterfront. And that was when it was still a, really a waterfront, you know. They had the wooden wharfs and the wharf rats and those wharfs, you could hear them creaking against the ropes when the tide would come in and out, and the winos beating each other up in the streets all night long, and the neon signs flashing, and it was great. You know, I, it was, I, I loved it. I loved it. And I, I got these friends, uh, 
these itinerant Mexican farm workers up from the artichoke fields down south. And Charlie Enriquez was my buddy, you know. And these are the guys that taught me how to drink wine done right. You know, cheap supermarket wine in a paper bag with it wrapped up real tight so it's like a second skin around it and nobody can see what it is and you put it under your thing and you nip it and you pull it out so nobody can see. Um, and, you know, and I can remember, I can remember six in the morning, Charlie and I sitting on a curb. Uh, we were just wrapping it up from the last night. And at six o'clock in the morning, the people are going to and from their, their, uh, their jobs uh, and, and going to support their families, driving to their, their place of employment, doing the responsible things in life. And we're so, sitting on the gutter mocking these people, looking, looking down at them from the gutter. You know, it's, the, uh, the alcoholic, uh, I believe, has a unique ability to do that. You know, we're, uh, um, we have the unique uh, <laughs> ability to spot an idiot or who we think is an idiot, you know, we, we could be a quick judge of that. And so I, I, I'll look at all these idiots going to their jobs and wasting their lives, you know. You know, they, they, they're missing the good life sitting down here with this bottle of cheap wine. Uh, and on Friday afternoon, you know, I'd, um, I'd go up to the little dance hall above the a Cadillac dealership to hear the house band up on Fillmore Street. Well, the dance hall was called the Fillmore, and the house band was called the Grateful Dead. And we'd go up there at 6 o'clock in the evening, and they'd, they'd start warming up at 7 and maybe, maybe play till 12, 1 in the morning. And um, around Sunday afternoons, we'd go over to Provo Park in Berkeley uh, uh, to hear Country Joe doing his stuff. And it was a real heady experience. You know, a lot of, a lot of sights and a lot of uh, things that I um, put into my young, impressionable mind at that time that were, were to carry me through life, you know, um, down all the wrong paths. Of course, but uh, and these are the things that I brought back with me when, when they kicked me out of the state. You know, they found me in the state. I didn't have a legal guardian, which is a kind of a requirement. Kind of it means I'm homeless, so um, I didn't have a legal guardian. They put me on a plane, sent me back. You know, and, and my parents. You know, I I had never once considered the pain I was putting my parents through. You know, as a parent today, I, I see that firsthand, and I realized that I, I never gave them one thought. I was, it was all about me. I was having fun. I was out there doing my thing. I was enjoying life. I was free, you know, but um, they, my parents welcomed me back like, like I had never been gone, uh, which meant, which meant I, I could go out on Friday night, and really, I couldn't believe it. They were, they were kind of hands off, and I thought I won. I thought I, I finally beat them. In my mind, I thought I beat my parents. Well, I know today that they only love me enough to let me go. As, and, I, and I know that's got to be a lot of love. You know, from what I see working on our family today, it's got to be a lot of love. They, they just didn't want me taken off because um, I was wild enough to do it. You know, so uh, they loved me enough to let me go, which meant I was out on Friday nights with my buds and um, out to get blasted or wasted or obliterated or messed up. And these are the adjectives we use to describe our drinking. There was nothing moderate about it. You know, nothing genteel. We weren't going to go tip a few you know, or anything like that, or, or, or no aperitifs or anything. It was turn the bottle up and slug it down, you know, no, uh, no matter what it was. Pedal to the metal drinking, and then try to go get some more. And, and uh, so uh, we use those adjectives, and those adjectives pretty much described um, the next many years of my life. You know, I started getting jobs. You know, I finally I graduated high school after going to five different high schools. And um, I entered the job market. My first job was in the pharmaceutical industry, so to speak. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs>
I'm not, you don't rinse. And uh, my, my second job, though, was one of these night cleaning crew jobs. You know, was, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was supposed to be emptying the trash and sweeping the carpets and stuff. Well, they thought I was doing that, but I was actually casing the place. And, and while, while I was casing the place, on Friday night I was going to steal, I was, I was gonna, there was going to be a break-in. You know, and Friday night was our off night, and there was going to be a break-in, and I had this all orchestrated, but it never happened, because Thursday found me in jail for assaulting a police officer with a deadly weapon. You know, and really, um, you know, I was all peace, dude, you know, and I was, uh, I had this California thing going on, on on one side of me, but don't endanger my supply. You know, and, and we had the party was set on Thursday, and the plans were made. We had the liquor, and we were, everything was set. But this police officer got between me and that drink, and and something inside of me snapped, and I, I went was willing to go to any lengths to avoid that from happening. You know, I didn't want to be interfered with in that, and uh, and there was a lot of lengths I went to. You know, wild police chase. It was just like you see on America's Wildest Police Chases today, except they didn't have the helicopters. You know, hot pursuit through suburban streets, uh, around corners. You know, I had seen Bullet and Steve McQueen and those Shelby GT Cobras in the wild car chases through the streets. Uh, my escape vehicle was a 66 Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> with a slip and clutch, you know, they'll never take me alive. You know? <laughs> but, but, but they did, they did, and... Um, I was always overshooting or undershooting the mark, I guess. And that's kind of why I say that is because I had a history of that. I didn't know what a measured response was to anything in life, you know, situations or, or uh, situations like that. Or somebody might come up to me and tell me your brother-in-law died last week, and I'd say, oh, good, let's go have a drink or something. You know, I, was, I would... Um, and I, I kind of sensed that about myself also. You know, I knew I didn't know how to respond appropriately to people, uh, social circumstances, or uh, uh, I wasn't um, really um, uh, socially adept, I guess you might say. I didn't know how to, I always felt uncomfortable around people. The drink seemed to temper that and help that a little bit. But uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I learned something. Oh, well, I didn't learn something at that time, but I ended up getting a break off of that deal. They made some kind of technical error in the processing of the papers, and I got off uh, pretty easy off of that one. And, uh, <clears throat> but I never learned anything from a break. You know, I was always looking for my next break, and I got a million of them. There was always somebody trying to point me in the right direction or uh, saying, go to college or straighten your life out or quit drinking or... Uh, getting all kinds of good advice and giving me breaks or looking the other way on the things I was um, uh, screwing up in life, but uh, I never learned a thing for any of them. It was consequences that got me into Alcoholics Anonymous. It was consequences that made it uncomfortable enough for me and my, my, the way I was living to be able to accept some kind of other way. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. Eventually I got a job in, uh, in the steel mills down in Cleveland. I was... Uh, uh, became a steel mill electrician. And then I got a line of credit. You know, I got a good job, now I got a line of credit, which means I got a bar tab. And I thought that was just like a real adult, you know, a line of credit and everything. And I, so I, I, within two weeks, I proved to everybody that I could not handle credit. You know, within two weeks, you know, round for the house, you know. And within two weeks, I'd be taking my check up there, 
given them the check, and they uh, put me in a new card. My financial statement was on a three-by-five index card, which, which they kept in a little metal box next to the cash register over there. And, and that was, uh, I know they were padding that thing, too. You know, they do that. You know, but, but uh, yeah, I could not handle credit, and, I could, and, and more and more I'm withdrawing into myself. You know, it's, uh, now I'm into my mid-20s, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be a man. I'm supposed to be using the gifts that God gave me, gave me to, uh, to, to the best of my abilities. You know, everybody around me is uh, raising families and buying houses and, uh, and, and, and uh, excelling in their professions and that. And I'm, I'm still riding beater cars and with bald tires and, um, you know, uh, breaking down on the side of the freeway. I, I, I'm pretty good at fixing wheel bearings on the side of a freeway, you know, because... Uh, I, I had a, these cars, uh, all the tires are going this way except one is going this way. And it, uh, it, it's bad. It doesn't it's bad. Got to go like this to keep it on the road. Oh, the, the cars, the, um, the, the uh, life unmanageable. You know, they would send us, they were, uh, computers were just coming into the workplace at that time, technology and all, and they would send us down to the local college for continuing education. Uh, and, and I would go down to Cleveland State, and, and I would have to have a couple just to just to ease the transition from my world into yours, you know, just to just to uh, uh, make it so I could kind of act semi-normal amongst these normal people, because I viewed them as clean cut and they're uh, they're they're uh, bright and energetic people, and, and I'm walking in there in my leather and my boots, and you know, I had this uh, this Harley Davidson thing going on, which I also picked up out of, uh, out at the coast. You know, the first, the first $775 I bought a Harley-Davidson motorcycle with in 1971, and with that I bought myself a lifestyle. And really for the, for the rest of my adult life was really um, devoted to building and drag racing Harley-Davidsons. If there's one thing that I, I, I had my eye on, that was it. And that's pretty much all how I spent most of my talents, energies, and adult life at. But in my spare time, I was going to work, and I, I was going to this uh, school over there, and and uh, I was. Um, but I always end up drunk, because once again, I'm overshooting the mark. I, I know no moderation, and I can't withhold anything from myself. So I'd walk in there, and the people in these classes, I, I'd realize how far from society I was, how far apart I had grown. I felt like an animal, you know, and, and I, of course I'm. I'm acting like I, I don't know any of that, and I'm, I'm like shoving stuff in that feeling in that, but um, it's getting harder and harder to do as the years go by. You know, uh, eventually, eventually I got in some big trouble, and I ended up in trouble with the law down there, and um, I don't know if anybody knows. I guess I, I, guess I know what they say when it, you make a federal case out of something. I know where the federal case is. You know, and if, if, if you've never seen a federal indictment, Comes on this like this heavy parchment, like yellow paper with little lines embossed in it and stuff. And over the top, it says "The United States of America," and it's in this big Gothic fancy script, "The United States of America." And under that, it says "versus," <laughs> and then it's like typed in on a cheap typewriter, you know, Paul Gatick, you know, and I'm, yeah, you know. Bring it on! Bring it on! It's like like a prize fight or something like that. I thought I was John Dillinger or something. I was just a two-bit punk criminal. 
you know, it was, um, but uh, that was a, that was a, and so I'm waiting for my break, you know, I always got a break, and I'm used to getting breaks out of things, you know, bad things really never happened to me, right, you know, but uh, there was no break coming with this one, you know, and these guys cross their I's, and they dot, or, or cross their T's, and they dot their I's, they do what they need to do, and uh, it, uh, pretty soon it became apparent, and I was standing up in front of that judge, and my lawyer got up there, and he, he ratted me out, basically. I'm paying this lawyer good. <laughs> I'm paying this lawyer good money, and I thought I had him schooled. You know, I thought I had him uh, uh, aim it to the proper judge. I thought this is the way the law system works. You know, you give him enough money, he pays off all the right people. You go before the lenient judge, and you get off with a slap on the wrist. Well, I don't think it quite works either. I must not have had enough money. But <laughs> I'm standing up there in front of that judge, and he's ratting me. I says, your, uh, your, uh, your Honor, my client is hopeless alcoholic. All the people he's hurt, all the things he's done is a direct result of his uh, uncontrolled alcoholism. And, and every, every time he was saying this stuff, I, I felt like he was sticking daggers in me. You know, oh, my God. But the judge is starting to look receptive a little bit. He cracks a joke, the judge laughs. I said, well, that's a good sign. You know, so I, I did. So I stood up a little straighter, and I got up like this, and I got this contrite look on my face, and I put my hands together, and I'm, yes, Your Honor. I will, Your Honor. I can, Your Honor. You can count. You're right, Your Honor. I did ruin my life. I did uh, hurt everybody. You know, I told them what the guy wanted to hear. I said, but, but as I'm going through this, you know, I'm meaning it. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, geez, I did. I did hurt all these people, and yeah, I have wasted my life, and, and yeah, I, I am, I, it is time, long time I should grow up, you know, and I will, and, and wa- I'll tell you what, walking out of that place, I walked out with a new resolve. He gave me, I did get probation, on the, the strict probation, electronic monitor, ankle bracelet, all that stuff, but, but I said, I'm going to change, you know, I'm, uh, day one, I, I'm, I'm going to do it here and now, no more of this kid stuff, you know, I got a firm resolve and, and, and a new... I, I got the strength. I could feel the strength. I can beat this thing. Three hours later, I'm drunk in a bar. Left to my own devices. And that was, that was the, and I remember that as the, um, uh, I, I had this feeling within me. I had the, the strength of my youth and all the, my wits. I brought them all to bear on staying sober. That day I lasted three hours. You know, um, no mental defense. The big book, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, has a kind of no mental defense against the first drink, and I didn't. You know, so th- there I was. Um, they ended up calling me back in there, and, and it, soon it became uh, clear to them that I could not see to the requirements of my probation, and they, uh, they insisted I get some kind of help. Well, I still had that job in the steel mills. They had this EAP thing going there, and... Um, but they said, uh, they said, are you going to get help or are you going to go to jail? you got a choice. And, 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 and I didn't say anything. I didn't answer them. They said, listen, are you going to get help or are you going to go to jail? I said, um, could you give me a week to think about that? <laughs> really, it sounds like an exaggeration. It sounds like a, a fabrication. It's not. This is exactly what I asked them. Give me a week to consider this because I really uh, didn't know what help meant. I didn't like the ring of it. I knew what jail was. I just, uh, things were happening too uh, quickly. I just wanted to think. Just let me think. Give me a week to think about this. Well, long story short, I made, I, I decided to uh, call the EAP guy. He made some arrangements, and I said, all right, all right I'll go get your help. I'll do your jail bit afterwards, because I know the help is going to fail. 
you know, and that's the way I that's the way I went into this thing, and um, so that was it. Uh, you know, I hope I never forget the state of my life, though. You know, for years I was I was uh, I I was sitting in that bar, you know, and I would love the bars with the dark corners, and I would uh, be, uh, be sitting in that dark corner of that bar, and I'd I'd go in there and I'd slam a couple uh, shooters down, a couple of doubles. That's the way I would start off, in the, uh, away from all the people. And after I got a couple in me, I'd move up a couple stools, and I'd call the waitress over and a couple more. And I'd get, I'd get a couple more. And, you know, and by the time I got six or seven, I'm up by the cash register, you know, putting quarters in a jukebox, shooting pool, telling jokes to all the people, you know, feeling normal. And, 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 uh, I would, and that's my window of opportunity in life. That's the way I woke up in the morning to feel. You know, somewhere between maybe eh, five and nine drinks was the high point of my life. You know, and if I could have, if I could have only kept that open a few more hours, you'd probably have a different speaker here today. <laughs> but, but you know, if my glass is empty, it needed to be full. If it was full, it needed to be empty. And uh, I would, you know, no matter what I, combination I tried, I could not moderate my drinking. And two thirty in the morning would invariably uh, find me on my hands and knees puking, just like when I was a kid. You know, on, on, the, on the sidewalk behind the bar while all the other kids are snug in their sleeping bags uh, as adults. You know, and, and I couldn't. And, and for, so for years I'm, I'm going and doing that, and my friends are dying. You know, I got all these, uh, 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 Donnie, you know, all my road dogs, all the guys I grew up with. Donnie died, um, was beat to death behind a bar up in Broadview Heights. Uh, Frankie died cirro- uh, cirrhosis of the liver. Stanley died from pancreatitis. Uh, Pat died on the Mexican border. A few of them died on the back of a Harley, uh, motorcycle accidents. Uh, 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 Benji, nobody knows how Benji died. We just know he died. You know, 17 of my closest friends. You know, these are the guys that we went on our first first dates together. <clears throat> so I'm alone, and I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm living in this house, getting ready to go into this. Uh, uh, this hospital that the EAP is sending me to. And there's empty bottles on the floor and dirty dishes in the sink. You know, the, the toilet is stopped up. I use it anyway. It'll go down after a day or so. Uh, the shower is stopped up. I don't even bother using it. You know, uh, there's bags of garbage lined up by the door, you know, or that I forget to uh, take them out to the garbage on garbage day because everything, you know, going to get a drink is more important. So they stay there for weeks worth of garbage. In the summer, I'd walk by them, and the flies, and you know, inside the house, the flies and stuff. It was, um, and and I I quit changing my clothes. You know, at any given time, I had my uh, two weeks of my underwear, four weeks of my socks, six weeks of my jeans. Is that too specific? <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> We're supposed to share in a. I'll try to keep it more general. But. Um, but yeah, it was like an animal living in a cave, you know, and a full day's sustenance would be craft macaroni and cheese, 79 cents, a little water, a little, uh, little salt, a little pepper, um, a box like this, and a full day, or, or pot pies, Morton pot pies. And if I had a little extra money, I'd get the kind with the crust on the bottom, too, like a treat for myself, you know. It's, I was, uh, my hair was falling out, my gums were bleeding, and I was dying. You know, and this is the st- this is the way I walked out of my world, and basically into yours. You know, because I walked into that ho- hospital out there by the Pennsylvania border, and 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 I remember intake. 
in the place, and, and I, I was messed up. You know, I, I, I was broke, I was uh, uh, discouraged, I, I saw no way out in life, I knew no other way. And, and, you know, they were nice. They were nice, they were professional, they were clean cut, and they, they said all the right things, and all, all the things they were saying were, were right about myself, and, and they, they let me into the place, and they gave me a bed, and I started going to the groups. Uh, at, I was in detox for 17 days, but uh, when I wasn't puking in, in my toilet uh, from, every, from all the things that I was, my body was rejecting, I was in the groups, and, and boy, they were right. They were right on the beam. All the stuff they said made sense. All these um, learned college kids and the, the professionals and the doctors, and, and they knew so much about the disease concept and the Jahari's windows and uh, all the chalk talks they were giving me, but there was something missing. You know, I, I couldn't argue with any of it. They were right about that, but there was something missing. But there was another group of counselors in the place who were all members card-carrying members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, they went to meetings at night. And when these people, people talked to, spoke to me and shared their lives and their thoughts, and they were saying the same things, now this meant credence. They, they, had some kind of a, um, they had some kind of a legitimacy, I guess, in my eyes that was missing out of the other people. And, I, and really, this is, I'm not uh, demeaning or, or taken away from anything that the professionals have to offer us or the professional health care system at all. You know, I'm just saying that uh, one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic is a powerful thing. You know, and I saw that different as a raw new person, barely coming out of the fog. Uh, I saw that difference, right? I identify with this guy. When this guy talked, they could both be telling me the same thing, but I'm going to listen to this guy. And when this guy pulled me aside, at, uh, his name was Dave. It was um, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. On a, It was an October in 1991, you know, and he pulled me aside into an empty room uh, on his way out the door for the evening, and he had all them books, them MMPIs and the psychological evaluations and the studies and all that, and he, I, I, I still remember him putting them down on the table, and, and when he slammed them down, I can still see the dust in the sunlight that was coming low through the windows. And he, said, and he got in my face, he said, Paul, I want to promise out of you right here and now, first day, first night, you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I'm like, Dave, that's it? That's all you want to say? And I said, no. He says, I, I want to promise out of you right here and now, first day, first night, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Promise me now. I said, okay, Dave. All right, if it means that much to you, first day, first night, I'll go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And can, now can I go to Chow? He says, yeah, go. And he picks up his books, he walks out, I walk out, and I go to Chow. Well, the key thing about this was I made promises to people all the time. You know, but Dave was a thief, and I'm a thief, and there's honor amongst thieves, right? So based on honor amongst thieves, I guess uh, in the back of my mind, I'm going to honor that promise. I'm going to keep that. Plus, he's a, a guy just like me. You know, we the spirit of identification, the, uh, we, one drunk talking to another. Um, he might have saved my life right then and there in the, in the space of 30 seconds. You know, uh, and, and the other thing I remember about this uh, this place, um, I went to my first meeting in this place, and by now I got 17 days sober. And when you got 17 days sober, they give you a title. You're called a senior peer. You know, and as a senior peer, you have responsibility. It's like an old timer in treatment center talk. So as as a senior peer, you got these responsibilities, and one of them was to welcome the people bringing a meeting in from the surrounding community. 
So I did. I, I, I'm supposed to go out, and they told me to smile when I'm doing it. So I go out there, and I, I, some guy's walking up the walkway, and I shake his hand, welcome to our meeting. He said, thank you, and other guy's coming up, and I say, uh, welcome to our facility. Thanks for bringing the meeting in. You know, new guy just welcoming in, and, and I'm looking over his shoulder, and here comes this pretty girl up the walkway. She's tall, and she's statuesque, and she's got this long hair and this flashy white smile and clear eyes. And wow, she's beautiful. I'm welcome to our facility. And she, said, looks, me, she looks me in the eye and gives me a firm hand grip. She says, thank you. And uh, we all file into the meeting. Turns out she's the speaker that night. You know, and so we're sitting there, and she's talking, and you know, and I'm thinking about my life and and everything that's been going on, and 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 uh, you know, I'd been to enough groups now that, to where I found out that everything I thought was right in life was really wrong. Every, everything I thought was white turned out to be black. Everything I thought was up turned out to be down. I was wrong about everything in my life. They pointed that out to me, and I saw that, and I believed it. And I'm sitting there at this meeting watching this beautiful speaker speak, and, and I'm sitting there uh, with a plastic tag around my wrist uh, so I don't forget my name, and in, my pajama, in my pajamas and slippers. And, and the only thing I knew for darn certain at this point in my life is that she wanted me. <laughs> Typical new guy, right? I could, I could tell. I could tell by the handshake. I could tell by the way she looked. <laughs> In the space of an hour, she changed my mind. She, she laid out a message of strength and hope that was from the heart that just, in the space of an hour, she changed my mind. She walked out of that place uh, a child of God, worthy of my respect and, and admiration and a whole lot more. Not, not the pig thinking. I was used to laying on women, you know. Uh, in the space of an hour. The, the power of the message we can carry, the power of the spirit of identification in Alcoholics Anonymous, one drunk talking to another. You know, it's, uh, it, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's uh, um, how this stuff happens. You know, and I've tried to uh, quantify it and I've tried to think about it, but I, I just go along for the ride anymore. You know, it just, it just kind of it's a, it's a byproduct of. Uh, of a bunch of people walking the same direction in life trying to do the right thing, I think. And, and so we're over here, and I'm, uh, I, I get out of the place, and they set me out on the street. And uh, basically, they drop me off at my car. I got 10 bucks in my pocket. I got a big book and a, a meeting schedule and a 12 and 12 on a seat next to me. And um, 20 minutes later, I'm walking into the back door to Finn Cafe up on Broadway to celebrate because it's a sunny day it's a day much like today i got 10 bucks i got 22 days sober you know what more natural thing to be be than to celebrate right uh, and, and my it was like my car was on cruise control that's the first place i went i'm on the street a half hour and i'm walking in that back hallway and i could i could smell the alcohol already how hypersensitive to the smell of that alcohol and it hits me in the face when i walk in the door i said man maybe i shouldn't be doing this but I keep on walking, and I, I enter the bar area, and I say, I'm nuts. Am I crazy? Why am I doing that? And I, I approach the bar, I sit down, and I said, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, after all those people told me, after all their efforts, and here comes the, wait, the, the waitress. And I said, and my one concession of moderation was I ordered my wash. And when she gets, comes back, I'm going to get a double jack. Or I think I was going to decide a double, what kind of double I was going to have. So give me my wash, and I can watch her walking away. And she's a 
five steps away. She's pouring that little squirter thing in the glass, you know, and she's, uh, she's walking back. And on the way back, she, the thought crosses my mind, you know, I promised, that, I promised Dave I'd go to a meeting on the first night, that thief. <laughs> you know, and I still got the feds to keep happy. You know, and uh, I'm on this federal probation, and they're probably going to want to get a, a, a slip sign or know what I'm doing or something like that. And, uh, and I'd never been to an outside meeting, and I don't know whether you guys had breathalyzers here or what. Uh, maybe I ought to go sober and just scope out the lay of the land one night. Maybe I ought to scope it out one night and check you guys out. So, um, and, and this, these, these thoughts took about two seconds. And by the time she set down the glass on the bar, I was pulling a buck out of my pocket, and I said, thank you very much. And I still had nine left, and I'm gonna, I'll come back tomorrow and finish the party. And, 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 I, and I, just, I wasn't physically ill, so I got up, and I walked back out, and on the, meeting, uh, on the uh, seat next to me, I picked up that meeting schedule, which I believe might be the most important book in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, right next to the big book. And I picked up that meeting schedule. I found where it was, when I knew where it was, and I went around and parked around the corner for that thing for like five hours until 8 o'clock that night. I, was, I didn't want to move. I just sat in my car, and I, watched, I was overlooking the trains, watching the, the rapid transit trains going to and from the airport for five hours. And I walked into that meeting, and I, I clomped down. The, you know, And I'm all boots and jeans and chains and leathers and Marlon Brando look on my face. And I go down to the bottom of the steps, and there's this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid there, about uh, 20 years old. He looks me up and down. He says, are you new? <laughs> I, I don't know how they know. <laughs> how did he know? You know? How did he know? I said, yes, no, maybe. Why? He said, no, don't worry about it. He said, grab a coffee, grab a donut, meet, meet, meet us by the table over there. And that was a beautiful part. Uh, you know, I did. I grabbed the coffee, grabbed the donut, and met him by the table. I followed instructions. I followed instructions. And it's what a beautiful thing to follow instructions in Alcoholics Anonymous. Just like Rob. Rob, you know, I forgot my tie last night. And I called Rob and said, I forgot my tie. He says, that's all right. I'll ask Rose which one I should bring you. <laughs> And it works. I think it works. You know, what the heck, you know? So, and we we did, really, we did, um, so I followed the instructions, and I walked over there, and I sat there, and I don't know what it was about that meeting. And I don't remember anything that went on other than feeling safe, I think. Um, I was sitting with my back against the wall, you know, nervous as heck, watching the people walking around. And and the other thing I, I think I remember noticing, and I've thought about this a lot, you know, what it was, you know, because I'm, this is a guide. I'm giving you one shot. You know, I'm giving, I'm going to this one meeting and I'm going, I got the nine bucks burning a hole in my pocket. I might go out partying after the meeting, but I'm, I'm definitely tomorrow morning, I'm going to go out and tie one on. And so, something in that meeting changed my mind. I don't know if it was the, the, the fellowship, the, warm, the warmth of the buzz, you know, I could hear the voices, I, the voices, the, the sense of ease and comfort with which the people were carrying themselves. Uh, might have certainly played a part. The warm handshakes. Uh, bottom line is they made me feel welcome. They made the newcomer feel welcome that night. The people in that meeting did their job in Alcoholics Anonymous. They made this newcomer feel welcome. And um, based on that meeting, I decided to give it one more. And I looked in the book uh, in the parking lot after that meeting and found out where there was one tomorrow. You know, and, and uh, that night, pretty much the same thing happened. 
And I gave it one more, and one more, and one more, and one more. And, uh, and, and really, it's, uh, it wasn't long before I really, I, I kind of lit off a little bit. Kind of lit off, and I'm saying, man, I got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose if I devote a lot of effort to this thing. You know, I've, I've done, I've, I've been half measures on everything in my life. You know, I, I'd get so far and I'd quit, or I'd put in so much effort. You know, I'd be this close to finishing something, and I'd just quit and walk away from it. I never finished anything in my life or did it or put forth um, <clears throat> anything more than slacker effort. Well, and and uh, somewhere along the line, I realized that, man, uh, uh, maybe the life I always wanted is within my grasp based on what's going on in these 12 steps in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and with these people in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I did. I started going to the meetings. I got involved. I got plugged in in some kind of way. Pretty soon, I, you know, I was living in an Oxford house. They, they sent me to a three-quarter way house. Um, and when I got out, I ended up staying in this place for four years. And this, you know, I was, I was loving it. I was uh, within Alcoholics Anonymous for four years to the people in the local community said, move on, dude. <laughs> Make room for the new guy or something, you know. But uh, really, I was having, um, I was plugged in. You know, and I was going to my home groups. I got a sponsor. You know, and, and while I'm thinking about it, just the chance encounters we have in AA, you know, it's, uh, and it's all based on not saying no. Somewhere along the line, I learned you don't say no to Alcoholics Anonymous, Paul. Somebody told me that. And, and I, I kind of took that to heart. And I found my sponsor like that. Somebody asked me to, um, uh, so the, the person who was making coffee at Brook Park Monday had to go to Florida, so I had to fill in for a couple of weeks. I had to get there at 6 o'clock. Well, I had other things to do, and I'd have rather not it, but I don't say no to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I showed up to make coffee at Brook Park Monday, and, and I'm, I'm out there putting out the creamer and the sugar, and I'm listening to one guy over here talk to another guy over there about some third guy, who I, and he mentioned a name that rang a bell from 20 years previous. He mentioned the name of Tim, and I knew Tim was a pretty sharp guy out in the streets. You know, and, and, it's, and I asked the guy, he says, is this the same Tim that from, you know, that guy? He says, yeah, that's him. He's chairing uh, West Clifton on Friday nights this month. So I looked him up. It's my sponsor to this day. You know, and it was, it's just a chance encounter. I listen to one guy talking to another because I'm doing something and not saying no to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can tell you about... Probably five, you know, I could sit here and bore you for a good long time about the things that have happened, but maybe five huge things that have happened just like that that have literally changed the course of my life uh, when I was least expecting it. Just by suiting up, showing up, a chance encounter, overhearing somebody, uh, uh, a good, uh, uh, giving somebody a kind word or a good deed or a kind act or something in a corner that has changed the way I view life, uh, I mean, huge things in life charted my course, and it's a, a, a lot of it happened just by showing up at these meetings uh, when I was supposed to. You know, and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps and the, the prayer and the meditation fills in all the rest. Uh, it drives it all. It drives it all. But really, um, I, when I let go and follow the path that's laid out before me, good stuff happens. Uh, let go, let God, it's called. The concept is called let go and let God. That, so that's what I did, and, and, and that's what I was doing. So my sponsor told me, go pick up Jim and Dan and take them to a meeting. All right, so I go. I go pick up Jim and Dan, and I take them to a meeting. You know, and, and, uh, you know, and I, I really I wanted to do, do a 12-step call. 
So, oh, my God, I wanted to do a 12-step call so bad. You know, we, we heard about this concept of where these, uh, you pick up a raw drunk and you, you bring him to a meeting and you oversee his sobriety and you get to control him and tell him when to eat and when to go to the bathroom and all this stuff. You know, I, wanted to, I heard about it, the old-timers, you know. So I dug up a hot one and I, I grabbed Tim and I said, let's go get this guy. You know, he wants it, he wants it, he wants it. I got him in the car, I got them both in the car, we're riding down the street and I took him to a meeting, dropped him off at home afterwards. And I'm like, man, Tim, I feel great. And we're right. I said, man, Tim, I could talk some gratitude. And he stopped. And the silence was deafening. And I look over and his head turns around like that exorcist girl. <laughs> you know the way sponsors do. And he says, no, he says, you don't talk gratitude. He says, gratitude is action. Gratitude is not talked about. Gratitude is demonstrated. It's, it's not a noun. It's a verb. And I said, okay, all right, then, then get me active. He says, so, he, so he says, go pick up Tom and Ellison, take him down to West Clifton on our Friday night. So I did. I picked up Tom and Ellison, took him down to our home group, West Clifton. It was a big group, 225 people on a Friday night, right? They used to like to dress up. And uh, so I took him down there and trotted him down late so everybody could see me. Uh, bringing new people to the meeting. So I get credit from all the old-timers sitting over there, you know. It's like AA credit. And so uh, I did that, and I felt great for doing that, though. You know, I felt I was doing something useful in life, and I, I felt good. And next week he says, go pick up uh, Jim and Dan and take them down to West Clifton. So I do. I go pick up Jim and Dan and take them down to West Clifton. I feel great again. And next week he says, uh, go pick up Butch and, and Sam and take them down to West Clifton on Friday. So I go pick up Butch and Sam. And on the way back, I'm starting to think, you know, he's down there with all his buddies, joking in the back row, <laughs> drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, eating donuts. I'm out here riding my gas around, picking up all these new guys for him. I walk down the steps of West Coast, and I said, hey, man, I'm doing your footwork for you. <laughs> his head turns around like that exorcist girl. He says, you're doing God's work. He says, you're doing God. This is like he was laying for me or something. It's like a setup or something. You're doing God's work. There wasn't much of a comeback for that. You know, there wasn't, there, really, there wasn't a comeback. And, and that, and I believed him. And that right there was worth his price. I just keep him around today because it makes him feel good as a, spo- <laughs> as a sponsor. But, but that was worth the price of admission right there. You know, he, he couldn't, uh, that was worth, that was worth all the rest of the years. So, so now I'm on a mission from God. You know, now I'm on a mission from God, and I'm going fast, and I'm picking up all these guys, and what do you want me to do? He says, go to Serenity Hall and visit, visit uh, Carl. So I go to Serenity Hall, and I visit Carl, and, and I said, Tim, what, what am I going to tell a new guy? He says, you got 10 bucks, buy him a carton of cigarettes. So I do, I go buy a carton of Marlboros, I take it up to Serenity Hall, the local dry out joint, and visit Carl. And I'm walking up to the, uh, and I, you know, I got two months sober. I'm walking up, and they got this big um, uh, desk in front of the garden of doors to detox with these two nurse ratchet types guarding these doors, you know, burly tattoos, cigars, and stuff. And, and I'm, I, I said, ma'am, I'm here to see Carl. And they look down at me. They says, are you a relative of Carl's? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. They said, well, we only allow relatives to visit the patients in detox. So I said, yes, ma'am. And I turn on my heel, and I, I walk around. I'm five steps down the way, and I hear, hey, hey, you. And I turn around. There's this little red-haired lady, about this big, about 100 pounds, sticking her head out the side door. She says, hey, are you a member of Alcoholics Anonymous? And I'm like, geez, holy moly. <laughs> Looking around. 
just threw me right out in the street there. She says, put up or shut up right then and there. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She says, I thought so. She gets up out of her chair, walks out of her office, comes, grabs me by the arm, waltzes me right past those two nurse ratchets, kicks open the doors of detox, and leaves me there. She turns around. She comes out. The door swings shut. The guys in detox are looking at me. Who's this loser? Until <laughs> they spot the cigarettes. You know, carrying a message. You know, that's, yeah, I, I was in. You know, was, but I'll tell you what, I walked out of that place um, three hours later and my feet were this high off the ground. Alcoholics Anonymous opened up doors for me that day. And Alcoholics Anonymous been opening up doors for me ever since in one kind of way or another. In big ways and in little ways, open up doors nonetheless. And, and really, the back end to that story is it's... it's uh, <clears throat> 20 years later now, and uh, that little red-haired lady ends up being my wife's sponsor, you know, Beth G., from, uh, uh, from, and lives right around the corner from me. And it's it's um, my own set of miracles. I believe everybody in this room has their own little set of miracles that are just waiting for me. All you got to do is walk down the path that's laid out in front of you to pick them up. Each is unique to each person, and each is unique to your circumstance in, your, in life. We all got our own set of miracles, and, and, and this is, these are part of mine. So, uh, so I did. Now I'm in, you know, and I'm going to all these meetings, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm uh, chairing, and I'm uh, uh, secretarying, and I'm treasuring, and I'm on conference committees and the central office and stuff, and, and you know, and I'm now I got two years sober, and now I'm an authority, you know, on Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm sitting in the back row, and some guy's sitting up there and says, you know. I was going on through life, and uh, my 10th year was my worst year in Alcoholics Anonymous, the speaker said. And I'm like, dude, I'm thinking to myself, uh, dude, if your 10th year is your worst year in Alcoholics Anonymous, you're doing something, you're missing something, right? You need to revisit that third step. You need to pick up more new guys. You need to get down on your knees a little bit more. And um, two weeks later, I'm in uh, another meeting, and I'm sitting there at the back row with my buddies, and in the inventory section again, judging these guys. And some guy stood up there and says, you know, I was saying my prayers and picking up my new guys and working my steps, and my 10th year was my worst year in Alcoholics Anonymous. And there it is again. So what's wrong with these people? Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You know, get it together. Well, I'm here to tell you, my 10th year was my worst year in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, was, I lost a job I had had for uh, 27 years at the time. Uh, I, I, some wreckage of the past cropped up. I had to go on a year of those interferon treatments. Uh, it was basically chemotherapy. And, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff came down the pike that um, I, I totally wasn't inspecting. But uh, I'll tell you what, um, I had had enough in the bank, and I never got too far away from uh, the meetings. And I, I drew back out on all that strength, and I never quit. Uh, I never had to go back to the basics because I never left them. You know, and I kept on picking up my new guys, and I kept on uh, saying my prayers and doing my steps. And, and man, I, you get through it. it was, it's just real life. You know, we all got a turn. Uh, we're all getting a turn for it. And uh, people are going to die. Things are going to happen. It's uh, just because we get sober, life doesn't stop. So, uh, but I got out the back end of that thing. And um, I was able to start a little business. Uh, that, that took off. I, the steel mills ended up calling me back. The interferon treatments turned out just fine. I'm happy to report all that is uh, long since gone. And uh, every, life goes on. And, and today I do what I can. And, uh, you know, I got a, a, a good stuff started coming down the way in life. And it's not a guarantee, but, you know, I, I wasn't sure about it. But I, I had, I got th- now I got three dogs. 
Uh, I got um, a, a cat. I got three houses. I got two jobs. I got two kids. I got one wife, <laughs> which, which is all I can have. That's, that's the way it should be, believe me. And um, a, a, a beautiful wife and a lovely wife, 19 years sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. We got this little AA household going, and it's not all lollipops and rainbows, you know, but it's, it's vital and it's good living. You know, it's what I was looking for, looking through those, uh, looking in those bottles, through those bottles in that bar for all those years, st- sitting on that revolving stool. You know, it's um, it, it's it's the life that's um, life I'm supposed to be living. It's my own set of miracles. You know, uh, uh, as long as I'm thinking of my wife, you know, it, it works for her too. It works for her too. We got a couple of special needs kids we we're, were raising, and it was a, it was really a struggle for a lot of years. And, and the only way we could do it is with the support of our home group members and our sponsors, and, and uh, not uh, and continuing to go to our meetings even when we would rather not. But um, she started off and got a job at the, at the, as a lunch lady at the special school for special kids where her kids were going. You know, the, 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 uh, the principal or whoever the people were there, the psychologist saw her bringing these kids in and said, this is a, a good woman, she needs a little help. They gave her a job as a lunch lady. It's 10 years later now. Last year she was voted teacher of the year at, at this place. That's powerful stuff from the lunch lady, uh, un, uh, un, um, unemployed, to teacher of the year and highly respected in the agency. And this, this spring, she just graduated from uh, college from Cleveland State after full-time job, two kids. And the effort that that requires is all comes from the, the strength we get in Alcoholics Anonymous and kneeling by the side of her bed at night and thanking her higher power. Faith and reliance in a higher power um, is, is what keeps us going. So... Um, you know, it keeps on going, and I keep on going to my home group, and I'm uh, having, uh, I'm going way too long here. I'm going to wrap this thing up, and, you know, we just, um, we just keep on doing You know, Elliot Ness's bodyguard, my dad died uh, two years ago at the age of 99 years old. You know, and um, what a man he was, and it took me to get sober to realize what kind of a man he was. And, and it took the, pe- the examples of the people such as yourselves uh, how do you take care of somebody in hospice? How do you suit up and show up and do what you need to do? You know, how, how, what level of care do you... And, and uh, through the um, examples, most notably of my sponsor, who went, I watched him do the same thing with his mom, I was able to do that. I was able to be there every morning at 7.30. I started the day with him. I visited him once during the day and once in the evening. Or I'd spend a few hours and feed him. And, and for a protracted illness, it's, um, it takes a while. And finally, he passed away, but I was able to do that, and I, I got no regrets. It was, it was uh, uh, some of the finest time I spent with my dad, you know. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget my mom. We're making the funeral arrangements, you know, and my mom's, she's 99. She was 97 at the time. She looks up at me, she says, who's going to come? All our friends are dead. <laughs> she, she, she had me. You're right, Mom. You guys know who came. The members of my home group, the people in Alcoholics Anonymous, the place was packed. The place was packed. My mom, I mean, uh, where, do I, where, do I, where do I say thanks for that? What do I got to do? I got to come to Columbus? Deal. Do I got to come to Cincinnati? Okay. Where, you know, it's, it's a, uh, where do I got to, where do I got to, tell me what I got to do for the stuff that happens, you know, for, for the lessons I've learned and the life I've been given and the chance to recover. Uh, the chance that I'm just grateful not to drink anymore, not to have to live that life anymore.
So uh, there's, a, there's an old timer at my home group by the name of Dick P. And um, the, the story goes, a new kind of newcomer came up. Dick P. Was a, really helped a lot of people. He uh, started a school, uh, helped countless hundreds of people in Alcoholics Anonymous change their lives. Uh, Forty years sober, uh, died at the podium. He had a heart attack, died at the podium, doing what he loved the most. But a uh, newcomer came up to him one night at a meeting and said, Wow, Dick, 35 years. Uh, and Dick slammed down his hand like a gavel and said, I'll trade you even my 35 years for your 30 days right now. Because Dick knew what the new guy had yet to learn was that true happiness is in the journey, not the destination. It's, it's in the one day at a time, going through life, living a real life. It's not getting the 35 years. It's not getting the 20 years. It's, it's one day. He was willing to go through it all again just because that's the beautiful part of it all. It's not the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's the, the journey getting there. You know, and that's what, that's what we get up and face every morning in the mirror. And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is, uh, and uh, faith and reliance in a higher power has helped me change that for me. And, and it's uh, helped me pick up my own set of miracles. So I'd like to thank you guys because uh, we're doing the most important thing we do. You know, you take up a chair and put a buck in a basket. It's really on a basic level, it's as simple as that. We come here to meetings, take up a chair, put a buck in a basket. It starts there. It doesn't end there, but that's where it starts. And that's where it started for me some 21 years ago when those people on a Tuesday night, they took up a chair, put a buck in a basket to a guy that was going out and celebrating the next day. They did their job in Alcoholics Anonymous that night. We're doing here our job here this morning, I hope. And um, this coming week, the same thing. Thank you guys very much for coming. Thank the kitchen crew and the people. And I'd really like to thank uh, Marty and Barb for picking my butt up and driving me down here because I don't know if I could have done it any other way. Thank you very much.